Hi Westwood and happy Mother's Day. I'm still in recovery from my knee surgery and yet I'll tell you I'm loving being part of the online campus. I'll be back in person in a couple of weeks. This Mother's Day, we have a special guest joining us. Jen Alexander serves as a worship and preaching pastor at Hosanna Church in the South Metro. And as a mother and an artist herself, she is the perfect voice to lead us into Paul's beautiful declaration in Ephesians 2 that we are all God's masterpiece, his perfect poem. Jen has become a good friend over the last two years, and let me tell you, she impresses me with her gift of wisdom and her dynamic influence all across the Twin Cities. And I know that you'll be blessed by Jen and the words that she brings today. So please give a warm Westwood welcome to Jen Alexander. Oh, incredibly kind words. Thank you, and thank you for your warm welcome, Westwood. And let me say welcome to everybody who's watching at a campus or online. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that I have had the privilege of spending a morning in worship, a morning in the presence of God, a morning lifting the name of Jesus high with you, the people of Westwood Church. Very often, you know, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, and very often Paul's letters begin with a greeting. He brings a greeting to, uh, the, from the church where he is to the church that he's writing or he's visiting. And I think one of the reasons he probably does that is to remind the Christians, hey, we're all part of one body. All the churches, hey, we're all part of one church. And so I think that it feels appropriate to me that I would bring a greeting to you, Westwood Church, from Hosanna Church. And just say thank you to you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel in the Twin Cities. Thank you for enduring the winters of Minnesota for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs> Yes. Now, I also personally want to bring a word of thanks to you as a church for sharing your senior pastor, Joel Johnson, with the wider community of pastors here in the Twin Cities. I know that he's probably listening. He's laid up, but I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you um, as a church because we don't need to rehash, you know, all the, the turmoil of the last couple of years. Um, but as we do approach the two-year anniversary of the, the events and the conversations that birthed out of a terrible death in our city. You just need to know that pastors all over the Twin Cities, um, we gathered, we gathered to pray, we gathered to talk, we gathered to ask the question together, how do we best respond? How do we best respond to this Kairos moment that is happening in our city? The eyes of the nation are on us. How do we be faithful? That was really the prayer of every pastor that I knew in the Twin Cities. But Joel Johnson, he walked into those rooms, he walked into those conversations, he brought his team with him, and he brought his heart, he brought his wisdom, and he brought his leadership. And all of us learned from him in the Twin Cities. So thank you, Westwood, for sharing Pastor Joel with the rest of us. And we pray he heals quickly and all that. Okay. It's Mother's Day, so I should probably show you a picture of my kids, right? That's what you think I would need to do today. All right, this is my family. Those are my children. Well, the big one is not my child. The big one is my husband. His name is Ryan. He is uh, the lead pastor at Hosanna. And these are our three boys. Look how blonde their hair is, how white their hair is. How did that happen? We don't know. We don't know how that happened. Um, but we have a 16-year-old, and so he started driving this year. And I tell you what, I did not grow up Catholic, but all of a sudden I want a rosary. I'm, it, it is so terrifying. And if you are a parent of a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, enjoy your sleep right now. Because 
Oh my goodness, it's terrifying. We have a 12-year-old Paxton and an eight-year-old Zachary. And Mother's Day is a day for me that I often find myself just getting really reflective, sometimes almost melancholy as I just look at them and I consider what a privilege it is. What an honor it is that I have been entrusted with those three human lives, those three masterpieces, as we're going to talk about together in a moment. But you, together as a church at Westwood, are in the book of Ephesians. You are spending time, this is week two, and we will be in chapter two, and Ephesians is an extraordinary book in the Bible. Um, In my Bible, in my personal Bible, it's probably one of the most underlined and highlighted and worn and written in the margins, and I bet that that's true for some of you as well. We at Hosanna actually went through Ephesians last summer, six weeks, six chapters, just like you're doing. And I think that as a group of pastors and, and even for our congregation, it just felt like a book that was right on time, just right on time for the cultural moment that we are all living inside of right now, because every single one of us. Every single one of us has been tempted lately to get lost in lesser stories, to um, shrink into smaller perspectives. And, and in this book, Paul is, he is lifting the heads of the believers, and he is reminding them of the bigger story that their lives are within. One of the refreshing things about the book of Ephesians is that in it, Paul is not needing to address a problem. Many of his other books uh, revolve around needing to address a problem in the church, a heresy or a controversy, you know, that's been going on in churches for a long time, it sounds like, and turns out. But in the book of Ephesians, he's not addressing a problem. He's just lifting the heads of the Ephesians because they live in a city, as you talked about last week, of Ephesus. It was a very busy port town. And so it would have been a place where ideas swirled around and ideologies and philosophies and religions, you know, and we get that. And so as Christians, he's reminding them, this is what we believe. This is our worldview. And it's such a hopeful one. It is such a hopeful view of the present and really of the future. Ephesians 1.10, you looked at last week together, where Paul declares where everything is headed, what God is up to in the world. He says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together. He'll bring it all together under the authority or the unity of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. This is where we're headed. This is good news. God is up to really good work in the world. And we might get impatient that it's not, it's not happening as fast as we want it to and all that. But we don't need to be the cynics, Christians. We don't need to be the ones who, who are down on how things are going. We're the ones who get to be believers. Believers in the big story. Believers in what God is doing. That he is up to good, good work in the world. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 2 that we get to live inside of today. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 is a very dense, multi-layered chapter, and so I'm not going to do it all today. I'm not going to cover it all today. That would get boring. I actually was only assigned one verse by Pastor Joel. But I'm grateful that you have, this, you have this companion guide, that they're providing these for you. If you're watching online, there's an online version. If you're in the room, you can have a hard copy. And you can use these to, to do your time with the Lord uh, on your own and live deeply into each chapter of Ephesians. Or you can use these for your groups um, to have rich conversations around each chapter that we live inside of. Before we do get to my assigned verse, he didn't give me permission, but I'm going to do it anyway. We are going to look at two other verses from Ephesians chapter 2, because these really are probably the most famous verses that come out of the book of Ephesians. 
Um, it would be, you know, if we skipped them, it would be like going all the way to France and not visiting Paris, you know? So we do need to stop and look at them. And you don't need to keep track of this, but the church that I come from, Hosanna, has a Lutheran foundation. It's got a Lutheran foundation, and these verses were some of Martin Luther's favorite verses because they are the gospel in a sentence. And so just let the gospel be proclaimed over you today. For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by what? Grace. Grace. That you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. 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 So that no one can boast. It is by grace you have been saved. And grace is a gift. It is a gift that I pray you receive even as we spend time together in church today. Because we live in such a culture of striving. But I don't think we're the first ones, because Paul had to remind them of this 2,000 years ago, but here we are still striving again and thinking that it's up to us. You know, and especially the moms who are listening. I think moms, we really do. We just live under a crushing sense of needing to attain some level of perfection as moms. You know, we all want to be the mom who feeds our kids organic vegetables all day long, Never lets them play on an iPad, right? That's the mom maybe we want to be, but it's not the mom that I am. and It's not the mom that you are. We all need grace. Every single one of us needs grace. So receive the gift of grace from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 this morning. But that brings us to what is my assigned verse, and that is Ephesians 2.10. It was incredibly kind of, of Joel to assign me this verse because it is truly one of the most just life-infusing, wind-in-the-sails verses in all of the Bible. So open your sails and receive Ephesians 2.10 today. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I'm going to read it one more time. I'm going to read it right out of my Bible so I can see the words on the page. Clear your mind and hear it again. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's a mighty verse. We're going to live into it. But first, let's say a word of prayer and invite the Holy Spirit in. Well, Holy Spirit, we know you're here. You've already been moving inside of every heart and every mind. But right now, we just want to agree to cooperate with whatever you want to do in our lives today. Lord, your word is alive. It is active. And so we pray that you would use Ephesians 2.10 today to speak to our souls, to blow wind in our sails. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. Now, some of you, there's a few Bible scholars, Bible nerds in the room who do know that the word masterpiece is, comes from, from the Greek word poema. I would love for all of you to say it with me. Ready? Poema. Good job. As you look at it, I bet that there are kids who can tell what English word is hidden within this Greek word. Of course, it is the word poem. The word poem. But it implies a masterful work of art, a masterful poem. As I say that, I, I would ask you to think of who, who do you think is a masterful poet? Is it Robert Frost? 
Is it Edgar Allan Poe? Maybe Maya Angelou? I brought with me today a volume of poems that my son Zachary, remember he's eight, and I have been reading every night before bed, The Master Works of Sir Shel Silverstein. In his volume, Where the Sidewalk Ends. And to get our, our heads in the space of a poem recited, I brought our favorite poem. This is Zachary, my favorite poem. We come back to it a lot. I think it just feels right on time for the moment that we are in. It's called Hug a War. <clears throat> I will not play at tug a war. I'd rather play at hug a war. Where everyone hugs instead of tugs. Where everyone giggles and rolls on the rug. Where everyone kisses and everyone grins and everyone cuddles and everyone wins. Thank you, Sir Shel Silverstein, for the moment that we are in. A masterful poem. A masterful poem. Master poets, they choose every word with precision. Every comma is in its place so that the stanzas roll to have the desired effect. You actually have a master poet among you. It's one of the reasons that I ended up here at Westwood today, because a friend of mine is your creative arts pastor, is his, is his official role. His name is Ben Rosenbush. And he writes some of the best poems that I have ever heard. He just puts them to music. He's a master. He's a master poet. So having all of that input in mind, here again, we are God's masterpiece. You are God's poema. I wonder if you have ever thought about your life as a masterpiece poem. I'm guessing not. And I don't know all of you that well. Um, but I do know that your life and yours and yours and yours has been extravagantly beautiful and crushingly difficult. That crazy mix of tragedy and triumph, exuberant joy and debilitating grief, all in the same mix, all in the same poem. And I know that you have been wonderful and terrible to the people around you. Am I right? I'm guessing that I'm right. What a terrific drama. What a beautiful poem. You are God's poema. But as we continue to read this verse, it goes on. It says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Your poema is not only beautiful, it is purposeful. It's purposeful. This is where Ephesians 1.10 collides with Ephesians 2.10. In Ephesians 1.10, we hear that God is up to good work in the world. Believe it, O Christian. And in Ephesians 2.10, we get to find out who he's doing the good work through. His masterpieces. Part of claiming our identity as a masterpiece is claiming the gifts, walking in the wiring, even taking hold of, being wide open about our weaknesses, 
because God promises to use those most of all. So that we can do the good works, we can play our part. And remember that we've already been anchored by Luther's favorite verses who say you're not saved by those good works. There's not pressure upon those good works. There is life in the good works. You get to be part of the great masterpiece of God. You are a masterpiece and your poema has great purpose. But not only yours, not only yours, also the poems of every single person around you. We come to church to practice faith, don't we? That's why we're here, to practice. And so I'm going to give us just a couple of seconds to practice. Whether you're at home or at one of the campuses, whoever you are with, I want you just to take a moment and look around you. Just Look around you at all the masterpieces. Come on, do it. I'm telling you to do it, and you're not doing it. Look around you. It might be a little bit awkward. I don't care. Look around you. Every person who is sitting around you is a masterpiece. Each one a poema. You know, Christians, we, we anchor our lives in the Word of God, and we, we know that on the very first page of this book, on the very first day of creation, it is declared that every single human being is made in the image of God. Every single human being bears the imago dei. Every masterpiece reflects the master. And so as Christians who believe in this word, we have a job to do. In every room we're in, in every situation that we're in, we get to marvel and mirror the masterpieces. We get to marvel. This means that Christians were the ones who asked the prayer, Lord, everybody I encounter today, help me to see your image in them. Help me to celebrate it. Help me to see it. Help me to see the master in every masterpiece and let me marvel at it. To mirror it though is active. It means that Christians, we are the ones in every room, in every place who declare the beauty of God in the people around us and we declare it right to them. And this is where I would love to just talk to the moms for a moment. The rest of you can listen. You might learn something. But moms, I think this word is just really on time for all of us as moms, no matter how old your children are, if they're tiny or if they're, they're big, hairy men. <laughs> no matter who our children are, sophisticated or simple, creative or calculated, sporty or clumsy, gentle or aggressive. We have one of each at our house. Each one is a masterpiece. Each one is a masterpiece. And it is not our job to paint them. It is not our job to write their poem. It is our job, primarily our job as mothers, to marvel and to mirror to them the masterpiece that God has made them to be. Is this easy? Absolutely not. There are days when I would way rather take that mirror and just bust it right over their little heads, you know? <laughs> That's just honest. That's just honest. I'll be more honest. There are days, there are moments, there are too many moments when my precious kids look at me to mirror them and what is reflected back to them is frustration. <sighs> what is reflected back to them is disappointment. It 
for doing the thing just different. That's not how I would have done that thing. You see it on my face. We all need grace. I need grace. We all need grace. But on Mother's Day, maybe just a good reminder that our job, our job is to marvel and mirror the masterpiece of the kids that God has entrusted to us. But that is not only the job of the mamas. In the life of children, of course, that's the job of fathers. It's the job of grandparents and uncles and aunts and coaches and teachers and mentors and all those things. But in grown-up land, we have people entrusted to us too. Our spouses. When our spouse looks at us, how often are we mirroring delight? How often are we marveling at how beautifully God has made them? Take some time to do that today. It's so much easier to, to reflect other things back to our spouses. But the people that we work with, even the ones who drive us nuts, the neighbors, even the ones that we really vehemently disagree with, they still are people that as Christians we are entrusted to marvel at them, to mirror them, to search for the image of God for them, in them, and to call it out, to speak it out. And maybe just like Shel Silverstein's hug a war feels kind of right on time, that's how Ephesians 2.10 feels as well. In this cultural moment that we are in, where we are all just being tempted, really being encouraged at every turn, to look for the worst in each other. Get suspicious, find the worst, find the difference, distance from it, divide. All those things that we're all so tired of. And maybe this is where I put my cards on the table as a pastor and say to Christians, Jesus followers, I really believe that the world needs us right now. I really believe that the world needs us to take our place as the peacemakers and the artists who create so much beauty, it just drowns out all the ugly. That's what we got to do. And we have to take our place as the healers, the healers, to refuse, to refuse to look for the worst in each other, to refuse to look for the differences and divide over them but instead to be the ones in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our families, to be the ones who refuse to play that game and instead be the ones who marvel at the masterpieces and mirror the masterpieces back at each other. I will not play at tug of war. I'd rather play at hug of war. All right. Where does the message meet you? At our church, our people will often hear me say, we don't come to church for information. We don't come to church, God forbid, for entertainment. We come to church for transformation. And so how does living inside of this simple but such a profound verse, Ephesians 2.10, lead you toward transformation today? For some of you, you really needed to hear that you are God's masterpiece. There are people among us today who've got the, oh, the thieves, the thieves of shame and comparison at your heels all the time, stealing your identity 
as a masterpiece. But God loves you enough to bring you to the chair you're sitting in today so that you could hear this word spoken over your life. You are a masterpiece. You are God's precious poema. And he has good work that he has specifically, uniquely designed for you to do. So if you came in heavy-hearted, if you came in deflated, I pray that God would use his word to blow wind into your sails. That you would walk out of church today with your head held high. With a strut, because you have good work to do. May it be so. And then for the rest of us, we maybe needed to be reminded of the great we. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Yes, even him. Yep, even her. God's masterpiece. And so my guess is that every single one of us has just a little bit of repenting to do. I do. And that's why we come to church. That's what church is for. To be under the gaze of grace and to ask God to show us. Who have I been diminishing? Who have I been pointing out the wrong in? Who have I been chastising instead of celebrating? Who, when they look at me, do they see frustration and disappointment instead of seeing a reflection of the masterpiece that God has made them to be? Who have I contributed to looking for the worst in one another? Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. And every single one of us has to practice. We all have to practice being a Christian. We never arrive. Are any of you already all, all tied up like Jesus? I don't think so. I don't know you, but I don't think so. Neither am I. And so we get to practice. We get to practice loving like Jesus. And so I'm going to leave you today with a simple assignment. It's very simple, but I expect all of you to do it. I want you to choose one person, just one. It might be your mom today. It might be one of your children. It might be your spouse. I'll give you extra credit if you choose somebody who's hard for you, where the tape is already playing of negativity and the things that are worst about them and all those things. Choose that person, if the Holy Spirit leads you to, to instead spend time marveling at the masterpiece that that person is. Marvel at it. Look at it. Look for the image of God in that person. And then take the time. Take the time to mirror to that person. Maybe it'll be verbal words spoken. Maybe it will be a note that is handwritten. Maybe it will be an email or a text if you're feeling lazy. But it still counts. <laughs> still counts as long as you do it. As long as you do it. Take time to mirror to that person the good works that you see that God has prepared for them to do in order to carry forward what God is always up to. He's doing good work in the world until the earth is as it is in heaven. Westwood Church, you are a beautiful church, and I'm so grateful that I got to spend a morning with you. We need the Holy Spirit's help to do everything we've talked about today, so let's finish with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word that is always right on time. 
So we pray that you would take this verse, Ephesians 2.10, that you'd sink it deep into our hearts, bring it all the way into our bones, bring it to mind this week, especially as we encounter people that, that it's just so much easier to play the negative tape. God, we pray that you'd show us in ways that surprise us the beauty, that we would marvel at it, that we'd be wise enough to take the time to mirror it, that, Lord, through each one of us, your world would become more and more and more on earth as it is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the whole of God's church said, Amen. Amen.